The Distance from Hope to Help. It's season 2021, episode 10. Leaning Toward Wisdom. Modern Tales of an Ancient Pursuit. Welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. Coming to you from Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. As I hit the record button, today is Monday, June the 28th, 2021. It's a holiday week. Sunday is July the 4th. Independence Day. From British tyranny. <laughs> Do you have UK friends? Just kind of joke with. Yeah, me too. I was in the fourth grade when I first developed a passion for piney woods. I was a preschooler. Pretty sure I was a preschooler when the woods first called out. Well, I know I was. By the time fourth grade arrived, well, I had spent half my life fascinated by and in love with trees, a.k.a. woods. A forest is woods, but not all woods are forests. I think woods are thought of as smaller than forests, at least I think of them that way. You know, small groups of trees. How small is small, though? Well, it depends. And you know what it depends on? Yeah, it depends on how big you are when you're a kid. I've gone back and kind of surveyed or at least in my head looked at how large a space was. It seemed big, but when you're small, things do seem bigger. And when you're a little kid, you know, one undeveloped lot in a neighborhood thick with trees, well, that that would suffice as woods. When you're an adult, you need something significantly larger. I love woods. There's just something special about woods being in the woods for an extended period of time. And if you can do that day after day, well, that's even better because you get to know them better. The more time you spend traipsing through woods, I still love to do it every now and again. It's great. It's not nearly as great as getting to know them really well, though. And I'm sad to say that in my adult years, I really haven't been able to spend an extensive period of time in the same woods to get to know them as well as I did when I was younger. There's just, there's something therapeutic about woods, especially piney woods. There's a feeling, there's a sensation, there's just this psychology to woods for me. My best description is a sound. And it's that sound. It's just this big exhale. Right? They help. I embrace it. You know, I'm not imposing on these woods. They welcome me anytime. I don't disturb their schedule. I don't ask them to do anything. I just need them to be there. Right? Just what they naturally are. 
just kind of let me loiter. Let me just kind of let me hang around in your presence. Let me stay. Let me just stick around a little bit. And then maybe I can come back again tomorrow and I can notice more. And over time I can maybe spot some changes and we can all be friendly. Unlike most people, I trust piney woods because they don't pretend to be something they're, they're not, they don't, they don't judge me. They don't judge anybody else. They don't lie. They don't cheat. They don't steal. They're not hypocritical. They're just there. (laughs) They're just existing, you know, for the pleasure of wildlife and maybe not so wild life, like a fourth grader that I once was and like an older man that I am now. Okay. An old man. I may have added to the population of the wildlife when I was younger. You know, what with all that fort building and pine straw stacking and path clearing and pine cone picking up and whatever else we did, you know, as kids, it's all behind me. And even then I had moments of not so wildlife where, you know, we would just sit on the pine needles and talk about what might come next. And the conversations, you know, when you're a kid, at least for us was pretty much always the same. Okay. Well now what do y'all want to do? I might ask it. Somebody else might ask it, but invariably that was going to be the topic of conversation. Okay. Well now what do y'all want to do? And it might spark, it might spark a 30 minute discussion of various and sundry ideas that somebody might invariably shoot down until we finally figured out something that we could all agree on, you know, because it would be, well, what about this? I don't want to do that. I hope kids today have those conversations, but something tells me they don't. I I don't see, I don't see a bunch of bored kids. We were bored kids. And it seems to me that somewhere along the way, parents got this notion that, you know, well, we can't, it's a bad thing to let our kids be bored. I, I don't know who started that. I'm supposing that we kept hearing about these wild inner city kids too much time on their hands, loitering around being ne'er-do-wells. And I don't know. It just, boredom was just kind of a way of life, especially in the summer months when you were out of school and even on Saturdays. I mean, it wasn't all boredom, but as a kid, you were largely, you were largely in search of suspending or doing away with your boredom. And so you had moments of boredom followed by moments of, you know, a lot of work and diligence and trying to build a fort or a tree house or a go-kart or something. I don't know. It was interesting to me as I look back, we weren't busy destroying things. We were busy creating things. There's something to that. And I think there's something to boredom creating that. So yeah, we were bored until we weren't. I do. I hope kids are having those conversations. I fear they're not, you know, a shallow investigation into social media platforms like TikTok and Snapchat. It indicates that our attention spans down to something like eight seconds, eight seconds, eight. Isn't that the time? I don't know this, but isn't that the time that bull riders need to complete a successful ride? (laughs) Eight seconds. Eight seconds. We were often bored as kids. 
I, you know, parents are too intrusive in my opinion in kids' lives today, right? We've got to have everything organized, everything scheduled. Got to have a lot of activities, a lot of stuff. I don't get it, but what do I know? I'm thankful that I was born in the era that I was born. I'm thankful that I grew up when I grew up. I'm thankful that I'm not a kid in today's world. I don't feel bad for kids that are in today's world, but I'm glad that I'm not one of them. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm that far ahead up the road. And I'm glad I had a childhood that was largely, largely built on boredom. You know, it didn't always result in trouble. In fact, it rarely resulted in trouble. And if it did result in trouble, it was trouble that we had created amongst ourselves and mostly we handled it. I mean, it gave us as kids, it gave us time to talk, to interact, to argue, to debate, and just to work things out. And today it's eight seconds, eight seconds. You know, man, we spent hours, we spent hours collectively trying to figure out what we might do that would bring us to our next adventure, what we might could do in this moment to overcome this this moment of boredom, which we knew was not going to last because we were going to collectively put our brain power to work, to avoid it, to find a remedy. Now this isn't about good old days syndrome. Truly it's not. I'm just kind of trying to paint some context because this is, this is how we worked as kids so that we could close the distance from hope to help right? That gap, that gap, whatever was in our heads and whatever we could make real, whatever we could get out of our head to make real. I mean, come on. The fort didn't just appear. It first made its entrance into our brains as an idea. Hey, you know what we could do? (laughs) I mean, it invariably started with that kind of a conversation like unmotorized go-karts. You know, we'd, we'd make this contraption out of wood and whatever, whatever parts we could find laying around on our carports or our garages, you know, the homemade skateboards. I remember us making a lot of homemade skateboards out of those old metal wheeled roller skates, because you could take those apart. You could separate them because they would expand so that you could, cause your shoe, you just you wore them on your shoes and strapped them over your shoes. No, they didn't work like champs. Are you kidding me? They were, they were terrible, but you could pull them apart. So the front wheels and the back wheels would separate. Well, that, that was great. And they were made out of metal. So, I mean, you couldn't destroy these things. <laughs> and all it took was, you know, a proper width board. And then, okay, well now we just got to nail these wheels to the bottom of the sport. Yeah, of course you quickly learned that. Okay. Well, you're, you're driving the nails in and the top of the nails, actually the bottom of the nails come through the top of the board. So, okay, well that makes standing on the board a bit uncomfortable. So yeah, you got to bend, you got to bend the tips. Yeah. You know, kid ingenuity, you know, cobbling together stuff, countless forts, countless tree houses, countless contraptions, including boats that just absolutely, you know, wouldn't float. Even if you had pontoons under them, you know, 
And then of course the Ford of the treehouse. you know, you decorate it. I mean, come on, you got to decorate it. We didn't need chip or Joanna. Hey, by the way, does anybody else wonder why chip thinks his hair, his long hair, anybody, anybody besides me wondering wh- why is this guy trying to look like a hippie? <laughs> yeah, I've got a neighbor. I got a neighbor who's older than I am and he, initially I thought, well, okay, it's COVID barbershops closed and all that kind of stuff. But here in Texas, you know, we've, we've largely just kind of gone on about our business because it's kind of how the Republic of Texas operates. He's decided a ponytail. That's what I need. (laughs) No, dude, that is not what you need. You look ridiculous. And in my opinion, so does chip. I mean, somebody needs to help these people understand how unflattering it is to grow older and attempt to hang on to youthful fashion or hairdos. I'm just saying. I've noticed that old men, especially, you know, I mean, big time grooming issues. I get, you know, you get bored with shaving and all that stuff, but (laughs) I mean, really, Uh, it's just not a good look. In my opinion, it's just a scraggly if you're a young, handsome guy, scraggly may work, but if you're an old, ugly dude, scraggly just does not work. Uh Hope, hope and help. There's the topic. Hope should dominate the life of every kid. It dominated our life. We hoped that we could get some help through our creativity to overcome our boredom. And mostly we did. I would hope that hope dominates the life of every kid. I know it doesn't because I understand that the world is cruel. I know there are dangers, but I know that every child deserves to be filled with hope about the future. Some years ago, I got kind of fascinated because of the child abduction craze. Well, I don't mean a craze in that a lot of people were abducting children, but parents fearful fearful that our kids are going to be abducted fearful that in every neighborhood, there was this unmarked white van prowling, just looking to snatch our kids up off the street. I'm not saying these things don't happen. I get that they do, but not nearly to the degree that we think, I mean, the terror, you know, forget the terror happening in the middle East or that is sparked from somewhere in the middle East, the terror in our neighborhoods that these sinister characters are just out in force abducting our kids. And I don't know. I know. I know it's just not nearly as innocent a time as it once was. Again, I told you already, I'm real thankful that I came along when I came along. I'm glad that I'm glad I was a kid when I was a kid. Of course, kids today, you can't hate being a kid today. Cause it's all, you know, and it's all we knew, but now that I know what I know, I would hate being a kid today. I'll go you one better. I think hope ought to dominate the life of every adult. Now it's harder. It's much, much harder for us because, well, when you're an adult, you've already experienced enough sorrow and sadness and struggle and hope can be difficult. It helps if you've got a compelling story of redemption to tell, you know, for years, I I've noticed how many book authors and speakers have this really compelling rags to riches kind of a story. It's a long list. You don't believe me? Just go snooping around. 
a long, long list of celebrity authors. And I'm not talking about fiction authors. I'm talking, well, okay. I mean, they could be fiction, but it's posed as nonfiction. A long list of celebrity authors and speakers, right? I mean, many of they, they've lived in their car. They've lived under bridges. They've suffered abuse. They've suffered addiction. Uh, they dove into dumpsters. Ah, but they figured things out. I mean, just suddenly just Eureka, each of them seem to have experienced this epiphany. I jokingly used to tell my friends, I am just a man in search of an epiphany. <laughs> I don't get them very often. In fact, couldn't tell you the last time I had one. Don't know that I've ever had one now that I think about it, but these people, oh, these people, they went from just this horrible life of despair, no hope. Suddenly something, I mean, they figured things out, became wildly, I mean, wildly successful, found the key to success. I'll have, you know, and yes, they will happily teach that to you because they desperately want you to learn what they learned. You just need to buy their book. You need to attend their seminar. You need to buy their product or their course. And you too, perhaps can go from your bored existence of no hope to insane wild success. Maybe, you know, it seems the distance from hope to help is it must be just a devastating loss caused largely by your own idiocy until your idiocy somehow just miraculously morphs into some extraordinary wisdom. That seems to be the theme of these stories. And I've never, ever understood it. I really haven't. I've never understood how somebody could, you know, fall into such desperate times, admittedly due to their own ignorance, their own stupidity, their own selfishness, their own foolishness, but then 180 degrees, just in an instant, you know, you meet somebody under a bridge who tells you how life ought to roll. And I'm sitting here wondering why is he living under a bridge? I mean, why are you living under a bridge, but why is he living? And why are you listening to him? <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't explain these things. I can tell you what it's like. It's like evolution. Nobody's ever seen it, but so many people are convinced it's true. <laughs> I suppose those of us who have lived these practical, mundane, boring, responsible lives, devoid of homelessness or addiction or abuse, I don't know. I guess we're just destined to be lifelong failures because we're just living a story that's just too boring to achieve much else, it seems. And I admit, I've invested some bucks along the way to see if these previously homeless people I mean, have they figured something out? Maybe. I don't know. It doesn't seem so. It really doesn't seem so. Have you ever been tempted to create a narrative that might help you get attention? <laughs> no, me neither. But it sure seems like that's what's going on. I tell you, I tell you what I have done. I have worked on a narrative. Well, it's not really an, a narrative to help me get attention, but I've worked on a narrative that isn't true for a fictional character, mind you, not to tell some lie or perpetrate some marketing scheme. I do assume I got to tell you, and I think it's a real safe assumption 
There are a large number of these self-help gurus. Yeah, I mean, come on, they, they've made it up. I'm not saying it's not a compelling story, but I'm challenging. There's an awful lot of them that I don't think are true. I'm still trying to come up with a believable scenario where some hobo under a bridge has the key to unlock the wisdom of success. I just, you know, what do I know? My latest creation, if you go to the website, leaningtowardwisdom.com, what is this, episode 10, season 2021? I'll put a photograph. I take photographs of, of trees like this because this is my latest creation. Okay, well, it's, it's only in my head so far, and it's not, a very, it's not a very detailed creation yet. I'm working on it. It has me encountering this small forest gnome who lives in this tree. There's a picture at the base of this tree is a hole. I mean, you, it looks like it'd be a perfect place for a critter. Now you got to consider, okay. Yeah. But when it rains might not be so ideal. Okay. Well, let's not, let's not get too caught up in all the practical realities. Just if you take a look at the picture and you just let your imagination go crazy, a small forest gnome lives in the hole in that tree lives in that tree. His name is Bjorn. <laughs> yeah. Really weird since that tree is in Arkansas. I wonder how many Bjorns there are in Arkansas. And I mean from Arkansas. And what's even weirder is this creation that I've made in my head of Bjorn. He's Norwegian. <laughs> but he's never lived anywhere other than this tree, which is in Arkansas. Yeah, go figure. Well, if, come on. If you're going to make it up, make it up big as i say if you're gonna lie lie big and that you know that just creates a deeper mystery though right i mean how how is it that a norwegian named bjorn who is a forest gnome who lives in this tree in arkansas has never been anywhere else well how is it he's norwegian well his parents were norwegian that's how you know this is the stuff of books and speeches and presentations and workshops and seminars and so many other forms of fantasy. But I kind of like, I kind of like thinking about Bjorn. So I'm planning, I'm planning to make Bjorn's brilliance shine just as bright as I possibly can. And besides that, Bjorn is very snarky. So I trust Bjorn. <laughs> In the case of finding or creating Bjorn, the distance from hope to help is about five hours, five hours. And you're going, wait, what? Cause that's how long it takes to get from my house to Bjorn's house to that tree. That's being pictured there. It takes five hours for me to make that drive from here to that tree in Arkansas is about five hours. So Bjorn is about five hours away, but come on. Bjorn is a forest gnome of Norwegian descent who's never lived anywhere but that tree. I don't know how old Bjorn is. I mean, I just came up with him not all that long ago, but I don't know how old he is. Hope. Hope is an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes. Do you get it? 
I didn't come up with that. That's I'm just reading the dictionary. Hope is an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes. Now, there's some interesting things here. Hope is based on the future. But we tend to think about the future being, I don't know. Well, do you? Maybe I should ask the question instead of stating it as though it's fact. I mean, when we think about hope being based in the future, do you, are you thinking about five minutes from now? Yeah, I didn't think so. But it could be. It could be. It could be in the immediate future. Maybe not, but it could be. You know, we tend to think longer range than that because maybe we're not that hopeful. If we had more hope, we could maybe be more optimistic in the short term. But maybe we're thinking, you know, ah, things are so bad. It's There's no way it's going to turn around quickly. This is going to be a while. And that's true sometimes. But does it have to be true? And then, of course, we have to have some conversation about being told that hope is not a strategy. I think it is. I absolutely think hope is a strategy. Well, it could be. Well, let me give you a challenge. Try forming an effective strategy without hope. Now, go ahead. I'll wait. Just click pause and come back. Form an effective strategy, a plan, and leave hope out of it and see how far that gets you. I mean, can you picture, <laughs> I sit in a bunch of conference rooms. So picture a conference room. There's 12 chairs around this big table, right? And there's a person in every chair. You, you are at the head of the table. You are leading the meeting. And you've got this idea, you've got this strategy, and this meeting, this meeting is your opportunity to share it with your team. You lead this team, and you say something like, you know, this idea came, it came over me the past few days. It's not likely going to work. There are a lot of flaws in it, but listen, we're going to fully commit to it. And I hope that you're going to be as excited as I am to come out of the gate really slowly, and then we'll eventually just peter out. I'd love to lead a meeting like that, you know, just to see how the room would react. And even then you're mentioning hope because you're hoping that everybody's going to be as mundanely excited as you are. So even hope, even hope is a strategy, even in the meeting like that, as laughable as that is, hope is always part. I'm not saying it's all, but it's always part of our best strategies because belief and confidence are required if we're going to give it our best effort. Every startup entrepreneur has it. Every competitive athlete has it. And that is the hope and the belief that their efforts are going to pay off. And that, well, the hope and the belief that the results that they most desire, that that's going to happen. Or at the very least, that it can happen. Sustainable behaviors that we think will move us closer to the goal. They're just more easily employed when we believe in them. I mean, why else would you follow a particular course if you don't have faith in it? You know, so to say hope isn't a strategy. Yeah, kind of sort of is. I think where people get sidetracked is thinking, 
just sitting around and hoping. No, that's not so much a strategy. But an awful lot of strategies begin there. I can tell you as kids, man, we created an awful lot of cool things that just began by sitting around being bored and thinking about something. Yeah, eventually we had to get up and go try to do it. And we did. But there's something valuable, something really valuable about that pondering time. Something really valuable about getting involved and closing that distance from hope to help. Do you remember as kids asking an adult or maybe even an older kid if they'd help you? Yeah, of course. Pay attention if you've got kids in your life. Pay attention to how many times they ask if you'll help them. Not do it for them, but if you'll just help them. It's kind of interesting. At some point, we stop doing that. At some point, no, 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 no. I got it. I got it. And it happens It happens rather soon. Maybe by the time we're teenagers, I don't know, 12, 13, does it start that soon? Could. It could. And I get it. I certainly think I get it. It's that quest for independence. It's that I'm growing up now. I don't need, I don't need your help anymore. Yeah. You kind of sort of do the distance from hope to help. Let me tell you what prompted some of this. I can't always tell you what prompts everything because, well, I just don't know. I'm not that smart. I can't figure it out. But one of the things that prompted this was, as they say in the UK, I'm in the helping business. The day job is coaching leaders and executives, but I'm in the helping business. Now, some people want to call it, you know, the advice giving business. I'm not in the advice giving business. I'm in the helping business, helping people figure it out. Here's what I have found. This is just a side note. So I'm just going to throw this in at no charge. Aren't you pleased? (laughs) Most coaches and most coaches of, of any ilk, life, leadership, whatever, it's a prescription right? They've got some certification. They got some, they got some trick in their bag, right? They got some methodology and it starts with step a, and it goes to step M or Q or T or Z. And we just follow the steps. We follow the steps. I was trying to get some input the other day on a project I'm working on and one of the trusted advisors that I was kind of leaning on for some feedback. He plays golf and takes golf lessons. And he, he was likening some of the training and stuff that's out there. It's like, you know, they always want to, they always want to focus on your grip. They always want to start with your grip. I know, I know I have a lazy grip, but telling me how the grip needs to be for the umpteenth time is not likely going to help me. And it's a perfect illustration that even in complex, sophisticated sports like golf, coaching can just have this methodology. Okay, we're going to start here, and we're going to go to here, and then we're going to go to here, and then we're going to go to here and to here and to here and to here. And at the end, that's okay. I've, now I've done everything I know to do because I've got this methodology down. I don't do that. 
for a dozen years, I've not done that. I mean, since leaving the C-suite, I haven't done that. I'd never do that. And I don't have any certifications because last time I looked, it doesn't make a hill of beans difference. What makes a difference is helping somebody figure it out. What makes a difference is having an impact in somebody's life. And I'm all about that. I meet clients where they are, whatever's going on. Yep. I got an arc to the conversation. I have an arc to the journey. They don't have to know what it is. It's unimportant. They're determining where we're going to go. This is their journey. This isn't my journey. It's like 99.9% of coaches out there. It seems, you know, they've got this prescribed methodology and here's the journey. We're going to take you on this journey that we've crafted. The problem is it's the client's life. What if they ain't the journey they want to go on? <laughs> so I'm thinking about all this. And I'm thinking about hope and I'm thinking about help and I'm thinking about this gap. I'm thinking about this big gap that, that I see exist when I come into the life of a client for the first time and I'm just there to help and without exception, without exception, trust is formed really quickly because, well, I have no vested interest in anything other than to help them. It's not about me. It's about them. It's about, you know, what, what do they want to have happen? And it absolutely begins with their hope. And we talk quite a lot about the ideal outcome. We don't talk about my ideal outcome. My ideal outcome is of no consequence here. This is their life. What is their ideal outcome? And it's different for everybody. For some, the ideal outcome is the next job up for others. It's I got no desire for that. You know, I just want to be as good as I can be in the job I got. I don't want, I don't want higher up the food chain, not looking for that at all. Well, who am I to judge it? It's your life. What are your hopes and how can I help now? Granted in almost every situation, there is what in my world, we call a sponsor. That is, there's somebody who's commissioned me and somebody who's writing the check on behalf of somebody else. And almost 100% of the time, the somebody else that they are writing the check for me to help is somebody they have high regard for, somebody who is a high performer. They may be going through some struggle. They may not. They just want to make an investment because they know that if you take a high performer, and you can help them grow and improve by just a marginal percent, you're moving the needle. Take a person who's not very good at what they do. They're not a high performer. I don't care. What do you want to do? Throw 30% improvement at it? 40%? How about 50%? Let's improve somebody who's marginal. Let's improve them by 50%. You probably still aren't going to save them, <laughs> right? So that's the work, but it begins with hope. And my presence is the effort to close the distance from hope to help, to try to make the hope come alive, to try to make the hope become reality. I don't do that by doing it myself. That's of no consequence. I don't do it by figuring it out myself that doesn't help that I do it by trying to help them 
figure it out. They do the heavy lifting. I'm just a guide. I'm just the person provoking. I'm just the person who's there to care about them deeply enough to challenge them and not go hopping down the idiotic trail of just being nice all the time. You know, the difference between being nice and being kind. We've talked about this, haven't we? Well, if we haven't, we should, and maybe we will one day. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll tell you, you're great. You're wonderful. You're terrific. Okay. Well, that's kind, not real helpful. Okay. Well, it helps boost my ego maybe, but if you tell me something that makes a difference in my life and you do it with kindness, that's helpful. I can do something with that. We mostly surround ourselves with people that are always nice to us. When what we really need is we need people that are honest with us, people that we can trust and people who will behave with kindness. That's what I try to do. So I'm thinking about all this and I'm thinking about, I had written this phrase down the distance from hope to help. And I realized that that distance is not the same for all of us. It varies and it varies depending on who we are. I think it varies depending on the situation that we're in our circumstance, the people in our lives, the distance for me personally, at least in my own head from hope to help is most often not a big, big gap because I'm always working to figure it out. Always, always. It, it can't be helped. It's just, it's an autopilot thing for me now to solicit or to ask for outside help. Yeah. The distance from hope to that kind of help much, much greater. And I'll tell you why. Number one, I'm old and because I'm old, I'm experienced and experience has taught me that by and large, there aren't many people that you can trust because people will betray you and they'll betray you more quickly than you think. I'm sorry. I'm not being cynical. I'm not being pessimistic, but I'm not being naive either. It's just the reality and experience has also taught me that mostly you can pretty much bank on the fact that over the course of your life, some of the people that you've gotten the closest to are going to be the ones that walk away faster. Just saying, just saying, and there may be all kinds of good reasons for that. You might be worth walking away from, right? So there's that, <laughs> and you're going to do your share of walking away too. So it's not, this is not a one-way street. So none of us, we're not victims here. And if we are victims, then we're also victimizers as well. So it rubs both ways, but the distance from hope to help when it comes to relying on other people is the third thing. The big, big thing is there's just so few people that know how there's so few people that are really geared for it. There's so few people who really put the effort into it because for very good reason, we got lives, man, we're busy. We got stuff. You're looking through your eyes. You're listening through your ears, 24, seven, 365. It's what, you know, it's what you are most acquainted with. And yet I know because I listen, you're, you're listening to a guy who within the last couple of years, tried to start this thing called craving encouragement because I just see it. I see it every single day. People are craving encouragement. And by that, not cheerleading, 
not at a boy, not you go get them. No, they're craving deeper encouragement. They're craving something substantial. They're craving service. And many, many, many people are also craving delivering, giving service. Just don't know how. Just don't know how. Some very innocently just can't get out of their own way. Because it's very instinctive for a lot of folks to just immediately go into, well, let me tell you what you ought to do which is colossally selfish because now it's all about you. It's not about them. And by the way, what you would do, uh, who cares? You're not them. You're not them. So there's a lot of complexity to all this distance from hope to help, but we don't talk about it. Okay. Well, I'm talking about it. I'm not saying I got all the answers. I don't have all the answers, man alive. I'm struggling to find the questions, but I think it's worth some consideration. Because every human being, this is a universal experience called hopelessness where life has knocked us down and dragged us out and we don't know what to do. We're stuck or worse. And we need help. We don't even know what kind of help we need. And we don't know who can help us. And so people reach out to things that may be a bit of a, a bit more of a known quantity. I don't know who, but okay. I kind of have an idea about what, okay, well, what, what, what is a, what, you know, it sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, doesn't it? Well, a, what could be alcohol. I don't know. A, what could be a pill or something more sinister like a pill. It could be a really bad behavior. It could be any number of addictions, including sex or porn. I'm just saying it could be not saying it is, but it could be. You know how many millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people are trying to close the distance from hope or hopelessness to help? I mean, there is that other whole thing. There is the distance from hopelessness to hope. Well, that's a whole nother topic because that very well may be even a bigger gap than the distance from hope to help. And I don't mean help to just blindly cope to just get through the day. I mean, real genuine help. So I'm not talking about the kind of help that frankly, I think the majority of people are leaning on something else to just make them feel better. Never dealing with the problem, never dealing with the real issue. You know, you can take all kinds of stuff to mask the pain, to mask any aches that you feel. And sometimes it may be good enough, right? You go work in the yard and you work too much and you use muscles you haven't used and you, you take a few a leave and then you take a few more and over the course of three or four days, you take a few more and you eventually heal. Well, you just need time to recover, but sometimes it's more substantial than that. Sometimes it's not just overworking yourself out in the yard. Sometimes there's something more seriously wrong and you just don't want to deal with it. You don't want to face it. Well, you don't need the help that a couple of ibuprofen will give you. You need a little more substantial help than that. You need to figure out what's going on. What is really going on and what can we really do about this? For me, the distance from hope to help when it comes to external, when it comes to other humans, let's, let's be real specific. Let's just call it what it is. The help from other people, the distance from hope to help from other people can sometimes be really difficult for me for two big, big reasons. 
One is trust and the other is imposition. Now the trust, right? We trust who we trust and it's largely based on history. Well, it is by the time you get to be my age, I know the people that I can trust and I know the people that I can't trust and the people that I can't trust. I just tend to over time to just ease on back, right? Uh, it just, it makes complete sense to me. The people that I trust, I lean more forward toward, but then there's that imposition thing. So I could trust somebody and it's got nothing to do with trust. Now it has to do with me not wanting to impose. You ever feel like that? Some people don't. I got some people in my life that I love dearly and they, it doesn't cross their mind imposing on people, which is my view is just not how they see it. They see they have a need. They ask, I got great respect for that. Don't get me wrong. I envy it. I just don't, I don't possess that skill. I have tried to teach myself. I just am not able. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not able again, got nothing to do with trust. Got to do now with they got, you know, they've got problems. They got stuff. There is kind of a third element to this. And that is life has taught me that not everybody, just not everybody's geared for it. Not everybody's wired for it. Not everybody's got the skill set for it. I mean, some of us are just, we're bent the way we're bent. I've talked before about various people in my life, even family members who, if, if they had to spend one day doing the work that I do with clients, they would, they would be close to suicidal, if not fully so, because it would just drive them batty to, to have that much of a deep conversation about somebody else's life would just, it would just make their eyes roll up in the back of their head. And it does just the opposite for me. I absolutely love it. I love listening. I love asking questions. I love challenging people in all the best ways in hopes that they'll find the switch that turns the lights on. If only for a moment so they can have this clarity, they can see things for what they really are and they can figure some things out. And it's incredibly rewarding when you see it. And I, thankfully I see it. I see it often because I'm working diligently to help them as they're feeling the wall in this dark room, trying to figure things out. And suddenly they find the switch. It's just, oh yeah, it's invigorating. But I also know that there's an awful lot of people. I would dare say most people. That's a real, real difficult thing to do. I've got people in my life that I love and for them kind of small, shallow conversations, they're happy. They, they're happy to engage in, in those as long and as often as they need to. It kills me. It, nothing slays me more. I mean, very few things slay me as much as that, right? So it's just a difference in people. That's all. There's no judgment attached to this. It's just, we're not all the same. And boy, is that a good thing right now in your life? I have no way of knowing where you're at. 
I don't know if the distance from hope to help is really short and something that you just need to, you know, it's kind of like a puddle of water. You just, just take a really short little leap and get from one side to the other. It's fine. Or if you're sitting here looking at this raging river in front of you, that's just nothing but rapids. And you're like, how in the Sam Hill am I going to get across this? I don't know what that distance from hope to help looks like for you. I'm hoping it's the former and not the latter, but I'm here to tell you that if it is the latter, if it's this swelling, raging river in front of you and you desperately need and want to get to the other side, there's a way I'd love to tell you, I know exactly what the way is, but I don't. And this is what's so fascinating about the distance from hope to help is each of us are left to figure this out. Must you do that alone? No, you mustn't do this alone. You may have to, but don't try to do it alone unless you've absolutely exhausted finding somebody in your life who can help you, not who will judge you, but somebody who'll just try to help you close the gap from hope to help. And if you're trying to close the gap from hopelessness to hope, it is even more critical because you are at absolutely high risk, enormously high, high risk of really devastating your life. And as a result, the lives of everybody in your life and the lives of the people that care about you. So don't embrace hopelessness. Don't get comfortable with it. Don't wrap it around your shoulders like, you know, this warm comforter on a cold winter night. No, 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 no. Do not get comfortable with hopelessness at all. You must close the gap from hopelessness to hope because there is hope. I don't know what it is because I don't know your circumstance. I don't know your situation. I just know that the world is filled with a lot of hopelessness. And I also know that it is largely filled with hopelessness on the part of people who are just not able for whatever reason to see clearly. And if they could see clearly, and if they could have an accurate awareness of the circumstance, they could at least see some hope. But when we rely on so many, let's call them what they are, artificial helps, whether it's substance, whether it's some addiction to pleasure or to substances or toxic people or toxic behaviors, that ain't the path forward. But it's your life, and you can live it the way you want. I'm just a voice here hoping to encourage you. you got to migrate as quickly as you can from hopelessness to hope and then from hope to help. And you might need help even making that first big jump. And if you do find it, I don't care. Exhaust your Rolodex. <laughs> yeah, I can hear you now. Rolodex. What is a Rolodex? I actually heard somebody having that conversation. So I take my car to get it inspected and a guy comes in and somebody throws out the term Rolodex. And it, it dawns on the person who used the term because they're talking to somebody who's like 20 years, 30 years, their junior. And they're like, you don't even, you don't know what a Rolodex is, do you? And they go like, no, I don't 
what is, I don't know what a Rolodex is. You know, and I'm thinking the guy probably think, is it like a cheap knockoff Rolex or what, what is it? And so he's having to explain to him what a Rolodex is. Exhaust the contact list in your phone. How about that? Cause somebody, trust me, there's somebody out there that'll help. And there's somebody out there who's capable of it. Well, you're listening to one of them. Listen, it doesn't mean that the help has all the answers. So don't go looking for that, right? Don't go looking for the gurus that they lived under a bridge and they figured it out. And no, you need somebody that can help you figure it out because that gap from hope to help may not be as big as you think it is. Maybe a little different kind of a show today, huh? I'm not saying it's one of my better efforts, but I've been preoccupied with this topic for weeks, weeks, and weeks. In fact, I think over at the private Facebook group, I teased this months ago. I think two episodes ago, so I've been noodling on this idea for a long, long time. And like I said, likely because I encounter it every single day. I tell somebody over the weekend, I'm pretty careful to manage my energy, especially when it comes to these professional engagements. And if I spend a couple of hours, which is what I do with clients, in these deep, deep conversations, it's really difficult for me to be on my A game if I go over about three of those in a given day. And I had a day where I had four and it was not good. I went from hope to hopelessness pretty quick myself. So take care of yourself. Manage it all. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio.